Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Nealand, and today I have with me Laya. And actually, Laya, I'm going to have you say your last name because it occurs to me I didn't get the pronunciation proper here. Will you say your name for me? Laya Pedreño Mateo. There you go. Who is a psychotherapist, dating coach, and EMDR practitioner who works with a lot of single and socially anxious folks looking to form connections and find relationships. Um, And she's also a client and a friend. And I'm so excited to have her on here today. So welcome, Laya. Yay. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for being here. So tell me a little bit about the work that you do and who you do it with. So I work for the Relationship Center. And we work for, we work with people who are socially anxious and also people who are um, struggling with dating or maybe they don't feel they struggle with dating, but they haven't had good results. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what, that's the main population we work with. And what brought you to that work? Like what led to that being your sort of niche? Um, Yeah. Well, it's, I didn't struggle with social anxiety because I'm from Spain and (laughs) I don't, I don't like every time I tell somebody in Spain that I work with these, they're like, oh, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Is there no social anxiety in Spain? I'm sure there is, but I think like we're such a social culture Mm. um, that there's not like, there's, there's shy people, but they still have a big group of friends you know Um, that's really interesting like there's no I didn't even discover I'm an introvert until I was here because it's not it's not a thing you know not allowed Um, yeah or maybe maybe just my family system but I think in general Spain social anxiety may exist but it cannot it doesn't you're not allowed to it's not allowed to grow so much because right you can't be as isolated no, it just yeah. people won't let you, you know, like um, this has nothing to do with the topic I want to talk to you about today. But I do. That makes me think of the fact when I was 18, I did an exchange program and I lived in Chile. And when I was down there, I realized what a gift it is for there to be like a scripted hello and goodbye ritual with everyone. Like you always do the same thing. You don't have to stand there and decide, is this a hug person? Like a wave person? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's so awkward in the US and there it was like, you just kiss everyone on the cheek and move on. It was absolutely taken care of. And that got rid of a lot of anxiety. Yeah, same in Spain. Like you greet everybody with two kisses and like, that's what you do. And it's, yeah. There's a lot of peace in that. Yeah, yeah, there's like, yeah, we have a ton of like things that there's not even a question, you know? Yeah. Like, especially socially. So I didn't experience myself as social, socially anxious, but I had horrendous beliefs in love and mm. had a very bad case of the ugly duckling syndrome mm. and the... Um, on the narcissist farmer syndrome. <laughs> will you tell? Will you give a definition of the narcissist farmer? Um. So I, right in my family system, I was really trained to be a supportive person, to listen, to be there for others, and um, 
so I would give others what I wanted to be given, but um, I mean, that's a good rule of thumb, but then if you, like I realized this when I was living at the SL Institute that these lovely people would come in and I would like take them under my wing and get a really good friendship going. And then after three or four months, it was super difficult to talk about me in those friendships, mm. right? Because I had, and these were lovely people. These were not narcissistic, yeah. whatever. Narcissistic people is wounded people, but they, these were not like, self-involved people mm -hmm. but I would focus so much on them and give them so much support and when they would ask me like they would ask me like how are you doing and I would say like good but how are you doing right and that then when I had a problem and I went to them it was so outside of the relationship that they would mm. act um they they wouldn't even know how to how to behave even though they really knew with other people right mm -hmm. and and yeah i had to learn to take up the space that people were giving me and that you know it's like in my mind i was like if i give you this a lot then is it, it was more like this like social bank it's like i put a lot of yeah this is like this is the codependent thing right like i put a lot of here and then i can take it away when yeah. i need it and that's that's not how relationships not work, how it works yeah so you kind of like lay the foundation for a one-sided relationship in the hopes yeah. that it'll pay off and end up being two-sided and it has the exact opposite yeah effect yeah. in the long yeah. run okay yeah so you've got your own stuff around love, maybe not social anxiety, but I know that you work a lot with um, single people who are wanting to not be single. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to have you talk a little bit about what those clients struggle with, like what the challenges are or what the obstacles that they face are um, and kind of how you work with them, like what that yeah. work looks like. Yeah. So there's a few different kinds of people that we work with that um, people who struggles with that comes with. Like there's a kind of person that uh, their social skills are not great, right? Mm. And they really struggle to connect in their dates. And also these people uh, tend to not have much support, right? Or my, many friends around them, right? And I think this is a very, um, I think it's like, a, I think of it as very American in the way of like, you went through school and you had a group of friends and then went through maybe college or maybe started working but then if you didn't actively cultivate that and you had some social anxiety then yeah. you lost a ton of skills and didn't update them right and mm -hmm. um, so some of these people really struggle and with these people it's more about um, social skills and teaching them to flirt teaching them to um, connect right mm -hmm. I don't I don't I don't I don't even like the word social skills it's more like teaching them to take in connection and give connection, right? Yeah. So that's one category. And then I have 
we have another category, I would say, of people who have like really great social skills and they're um, getting dates and um, it's going well. And then they have some pattern that keeps on repeating, 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 right? And for that reason, they haven't been able to find love or, mm. or to, to keep uh, a relationship, right? And of those, there are like many patterns, but I would say there's the pattern of people who get involved with like, so for me, all of these patterns are more based in um, deep-seated, very toxic beliefs about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they they feel really true with the, because when we have one of these beliefs, we go out and then we um, kind of arrange life. Yeah. So like life uh, corroborates those beliefs with yeah, us, right? Definitely. And there's like, for example, like the person that tends to only um, date people that end up being really toxic or the person that um, does really well on dates and everybody likes them, but they find a little thing with everybody and they, they haven't quite found the person they like, right? Yeah. Even though a lot of people wants to be with them. Um, yeah, this kind of. So what would be an example in that, like the, the pattern of I pick people who aren't good for me or I can't find anyone who I'm attracted to who's good for me or, you know, whatever. What would be an example of the belief that a person has about themselves that yeah. leads to that kind of pattern? So usually, I'm gonna, I can talk about myself because okay. this is a, a thing that I used to have. Um, so for me, that's like, Fear, like we all have fear of intimacy, right? Even those of us in the in relationships, right? Like fear of, of intimacy is a thing. But I think those of us that come from a family system that either we didn't get to experience much intimacy. So some family systems, like the relationships are very um, superficial, right? Or we got to experience a ton of intimacy, but it came with a lot of conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Um we, we form beliefs around it, right? And um, for example, I had a strong belief um, growing up of there's something secretly wrong about me, right? So um, I would only fall for really unavailable people. Um, I would fall in love with the more um, unlikely people. My flirting was basically based in ignoring. <laughs> 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 I was like, if I like you, I'm not gonna look at you ever. And <laughs> somehow it didn't work, you know? I don't get it. Um, yeah, and then I had a little bit of disgust for people that were into me right yeah and, yeah 
What's that and, quote? Like you, you wouldn't want to be a part of any club that let you in yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Like I was like, and I felt really flooded when people were really into me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would like, I'm like, I would find ways to dismiss them. Right. Yeah. Or I would literally feel disgust. Um, and that was rooted in like a big sense of like, like, right. Like those are like protector protector parts of me mm -hmm. that were trying to protect um, me from the despair that I felt with intimacy, sometimes in the family of origin or um, yeah. So it was, a very, I had like a very, um, a lot of my love life was in my imagination, you know? Yeah. Is it fair to say that like body image issues that the sort of uh unhealthy patterns we develop around dating are always self-protective yeah like that they're always serving some yeah, yeah self-protective yeah. like i haven't met anybody that has unhealthy pat patterns around dating and then they have and that they don't have like really good reasons you know? yeah yeah like it's okay. like yeah like and and that probably save your life at the time right and right, right now it's getting in the way but like it did like and these things that i'm talking about right now like it did really help me in really yeah difficult times yeah so to kind of bring the crossover i work with a lot of people who when they're single they blame their body or appearance like they they make the um logic leap to if only I was more attractive, I would find somebody. Clearly, the fact that I haven't found somebody means I'm not attractive. And then, like you said, that sort of corroborating of the belief that happens. Um, this is very, very common, especially among like self-objectifiers and people who have learned basically that their value comes from how attractive they are. So what are your thoughts on that particular protective mechanism? Like, how does that impact a person's dating life? How does it impact a person's ability to uh, actually connect with people when they are blaming their bodies or their appearance for not being attractive enough to like earn them a partner? Yeah, yeah. And I was totally that person um, for many, many years. I was definitely a self-objectifier. And I would say that like I, I have so much tenderness for that. And if I had like, honestly, if I had a superpower, it would be like magic rays that would mm. impede people to do that to themselves, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like, it's just so, and you can be so many years and that yeah. will, and really Definitely. think that, that you're going to reach. So it's, it really keeps you really stuck, but I would say like, and, and I'm talking to about myself, so I don't talk about any client or anybody mm -hmm. just as a way. But like, I would say like, it's very hard to connect that way, right? Yeah. Because if you are constantly monitoring yourself, for example, the sex I had at that time was abysmal. Yeah. Because I was not even in my body. I was really worried, like, is my belly, mm -hmm. like, is this view, is this like this? And, and, and that's absolutely horrible sex and of course if you're doing that and not like communicating about that your partner has no idea and then yeah you think you think that is sex right yeah um 
and it's really difficult to connect. It's yeah. really difficult to connect in that way. It's really difficult to take in that there is love available for you, right? Because you are super um, zoned in into what you think makes you unlovable. And it's also very difficult to connect to yourself, right? Yeah. That's another way to, I mean, in your, your work, I would say that's the gist of that, right? Like this is a way yeah. that we escape our own pain. Mm -hmm. And by escaping our own pain, we're not there. and We cannot do anything about that, real, that, that very yeah. real pain, right? And we are preoccupied and we really think like if we get this thing, um, also, I, I think there's like a similar, like very often the body image preoccupation um, comes hand in hand with the, if I have a partner, everything will be okay. Right. Yeah. And I think it's Definitely. both the same because, um, it's not true. What kind of a partner, right. And like, and, and very often when we're caught in those ways, like some, I think some people are very lucky and they find a partner that really contributes to their healing. But in mm -hmm. my experience, those of us that we struggle with these things and we really believe that we tend to find partners that only, um, I'm trying to find a word. Like only, reinforce the. Yeah. Like yeah. bring up more of the yeah. underlying pain. Right. I tell my single self-objectifiers all the time that like I have many long-time married self-objectifiers and we're not having different conversations. Yeah. It's sort of yeah. vaguely focused on like, what if my partner leaves me or isn't attracted to me or cheats me or abandons me versus what if I never find love? What if I end up alone? So they're like a little bit different, but the ultimate, the underlying pattern doesn't change just because you find a partner. Yeah. And it's so lonely. It's so, it's so lonely. lonely and you're so, even lonely with your friends because like you're yeah. simply thinking that you like it's just such a lonely way of live yeah way to it, live it really is as a former self-objectifier myself I also have a lot of tenderness for this I definitely feel like it's almost like there's only so much room in your brain. So when you spend yeah. a huge chunk on it all the time, thinking about how you appear to others, like not only do you not feel worthy of love for other reasons, you also never get to develop any reason to feel worthy. Like you're just busy, you know? So yeah. you're not present. The sex is terrible. Like the people who are attracted to you and drawn to you from that place tend to be the kind who are upholding and reinforcing the idea that your value comes from your appearance. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a horrible situation. And then you end up feeling like, well, this is my one shot. Like the only shot I have at love is love that objectifies me and makes me feel a little bit lonely and worthless all the time. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. I'm so glad you work with this because yeah. I have to say, like, I... So funnily enough, when I started in psychotherapy, I was like, I'm going to work on eating disorders, right? Because I, I yeah. had them in the past. And like, I wanted to do the work that you do. And like, I got a taste of it. And I was like, I, I cannot do this. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, because it's like, wh when you are out of that, it requires a patience that I don't super have now. 
you know, mm. like, it's like, I feel like, can we talk about the real thing, please? Yeah. You know, and like, yeah. of course, that's not where people are. Um, and like, it's a little bit like when, you know, four-year-olds think that three-year-olds are stupid. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't think they are stupid in any way, no. But like, like it's like, yeah. it's hard for me to tolerate. It's like, no, I'm not wearing diapers anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I really understand that. I do think as you, as you get further along, dealing with people who are on step one gets a little bit harder as you go along. But so with this kind of belief system underneath a person's dating experience, let's say they just haven't happened to meet the right person for any number of reasons. They get more and more sure that it has to do with being not attractive enough. They get more and more like, you know, they're kind of self-worth window gets smaller and smaller and this yeah, whole thing yeah. continues on. So what would you say at that point is like, what would you say to them if they said, I'm just never going to find love because I'm not attractive enough? I mean, you can see that they have a belief system playing out underneath, but yeah. they don't usually see that. And it yeah. sounds to me like a lot of the work you do is sort of bringing those belief systems like into the light. So what would yeah. you say to that person? Well, usually if they come to work with me, is like clearly there's some part of you that believes it's possible because otherwise mm -hmm. you wouldn't have hired me, right? That's a good point. And then something else I do, oh, tell me, tell me. No, I was just saying that's a good point that like because of what you do, they have to have some little bit of buy-in to the idea that maybe they're wrong. If they're yeah. really sure they can't find someone, but they still hired you, yeah, some part of them, yeah. And the next part is sometimes what I try, like, so maybe in, like in the first session, I try to know where they feel capable, right? Because usually, like those of us that had or have have uh, difficult self beliefs in love. Sometimes there's another part that we feel very competent, right? And it mm. can be work, it can be friendships, yeah. it can be, I don't know, family or parenting, it can be whatever. And then I have them talk about that. And I have them see how, how did you get like this? What things do you believe, right? And show them how the things they believe about love are like the things they believe, for example, let's say somebody is like very competent in work and is like, were you like, were you born bring, being amazing at work? It's like, mm. no, like, of course, and this and that. And like, how did you get really good at what you do? And what are the things that you believe about love? Or I tell them like, do you know somebody, do you have a friend or somebody at work that you feel like, oh my God, this person has horrendous beliefs at work right like yeah they never want to do the work and they always think that work owes them and like they do terrible on interviews because they demand you know like whatever yeah, yeah yeah and like I go so you can see that so these are not the beliefs you have in love right yeah. the beliefs you have in love are a little bit of a jumble jumble like I think one belief a big belief that I had to is like just have bad luck I just have bad huh. luck or like or like I'm not like it's like God or life or the universe or like I just can 
that just have the worst luck in love, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, and then I, 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 I make them in other areas where they feel competent. It usually they don't feel it's because they have luck. Like, of course, they see that luck right. helps, right? But they see that there's all these other behaviors that they do. Uh, yeah. So you you shine a light on just basically the fact that their beliefs impact their outcomes in other areas yeah. Yeah. so yeah. that they can see it's impacting their outcome here and yeah. then maybe start to get more curious about what what beliefs there might be there. But that bad luck one is so interesting because I also feel like something I see a lot is people who have the belief that like finding a partner is sort of a reward yeah, like for doing life right. Yeah. And I find that one is super difficult to push back against because it's like it's not conscious. Usually people don't walk around being like, where is my reward? But like they kind of do yeah. feel yeah. that like, well, why did she get a reward when she's not even like as good at life as I am? Yeah. And then it just like really it makes it really difficult to approach anything from a place of actual connection. Yeah, the first thing is to bring like what you're saying, right? Like to bring those beliefs to consciousness. And that sometimes can take several sessions, right? Yeah. Because like these these feel like the truth, you know, yeah. and we have so much evidence to back them up, right? Um yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, that's always the 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 case with our beliefs though, like our our subconscious beliefs about how things work. We have spent so long backing them up with evidence that like whenever I challenge a client on something like this, I'm like, I don't expect you to believe me right now. I just want yeah. us to start like poking around in somewhere that feels like the fabric of reality to you and yeah, start, exactly. yeah, like questioning it because there's no yeah. way that you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, maybe that's not true after all. You're like, let me tell you 25 stories about how yeah. it's true. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's how I was too in therapy. Yeah. For a long time, I was like, no, this is like the truth. So in your opinion, then what beliefs form like the biggest blocks or obstacles to finding love? Like people have their own stories, all kinds of stories, bad luck, not hot enough or thin enough. Um, you know, it, I haven't like done life right yet and gotten my reward. Like, what would you say the real actual blocks are? So there's a they they all come down to some version of I'm unworthy, right? Mm -hmm. But we have so all, all of this that I'm saying is very influenced by the work of Catherine Woodward Thomas, um, who I took a training with, and I think she really nailed it down. And a lot of what she does is like, I think a little bit based in CBT. Mm -hmm. um in the belief work of cbt but like i think she really nails it so deep down is something like of like i'm unworthy right mm -hmm. but it's like um i'm too much or i'm too little um i'm invisible yeah i am i'm unlovable i am not wanted yeah and each of these have a flavor. And um, like she has this 
great process that doesn't work for everybody, but like it really worked for me that like you find the belief and then uh, you see all the skills you need to develop to get out of this belief, right? So you challenge mm. it with something real. Mm-hmm. First, you challenge it, like for example, like I'm an unwanted. Um, so first you challenge it with like, not with something flowery, you know, not with something excessively positive, but like with something real, you know, like mm, I am wanted in many spaces and I maybe, I don't know, maybe you have this belief because you your family didn't want you or something, but like somebody in your extended family did want you, right? Yeah. Or like, mm, there's always a way to challenge it in reality, right? Yep. I'm like, there are these places where I'm wanted and I'm loved, right? Mm-hmm. And and I want myself, right? Yeah. It also comes back to like, do I want myself? I want myself, mm-hmm. right? And then you find all the micro skills that you need to develop because this belief hasn't allowed you to develop them, right? So. For example, I had a big one that was like, I'm invisible. And Mm. the first skill for me to challenge was um, seeing myself and like literally learning my own feelings and needs. And and it took work, you know, Uh because I, I, I was like an ode to codependence. Like I was very tuned to what other people wanted but like I wasn't tuned to myself that doesn't mean like I didn't get my needs met but I get them met in roundabout yeah convoluted ways right so first seeing myself and then I had to learn the skill of taking up space Mm -hmm. because I was like and, and I still have to like sometimes refresh it right it's like I started to feel resentful it's like okay you need to take more space right and I had to learn the skill of like for me at the beginning it felt that I was being the most boring person if I was really really telling you the story right (laughs) like I was like oh my god I'm boring this person to death and I remember like I had this I still have this really good friend um Nieves and we had been friends for several years and I was giving myself the space to tell her a story of something that I had tell her a thousand times right and she was like wow Laia like I really I really get the feeling of it now right but I had huh, to give myself yeah. all that space. And it was a thing that for me was so tried. And it's like, oh my God, I don't talk about anything else ever. <laughs> you know, this very repetitive thing, but like I hadn't really conveyed it yet, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think this is something that comes up with my clients a lot for sure, is when you realize that one of your underlying beliefs is actually protecting you from doing something hard. Yeah. Because there's no damn point in learning how to take space if you're just invisible and nobody is ever going to pay attention to you, right? It's like that that belief is so effective at keeping you from ever needing to do the hard, scary thing of learning how to take up space. Yeah. And then like tolerate people giving you the attention. 
Yeah. All those things can feel, you know, it's like, even if in your head, you're like, yeah, I wish for them. You wish for them very passively. And you sort of just wish they would land on you. (laughs) Nobody wishes to do the hard work to build the skill to get the thing. Like that part is not usually, you know, a part of the equation. So in that way, we can see how a belief like I'm just invisible would actually protect you from doing all of this hard, scary work. And the only way out of a belief like that is to do the hard, scary work and then look back and be like, oh, I guess that wasn't true because here I am taking up space and I don't feel invisible anymore. Yeah. And also that belief is like any of these beliefs are protecting you from um, like it is really painful to be boring sometimes with some people, right? Mm-hmm. And but I now choose that I will sometimes bore my people, you know, <laughs> that's okay. We can bore each yeah. other. You don't have to be interesting all the time to totally. me. And I don't have to be interesting all the time. Like I don't set out to be boring, but I also have the right to be boring. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So it also does protect you from, you know, like the rejection possibility, the risk of someone being like, damn, this was a boring story and I don't feel like hanging out with you anymore, which almost never happens the way that we imagine it'll happen before we start practicing, but still could happen. And certainly having a belief like nobody's ever going to love me is going to protect you from ever finding out. Yeah, but it does. But it does happen. Like some people do find me boring. You know, and like, don't, like, I, I don't, I don't have the belief that I'm boring, but it's like, yeah, if I really give myself space, like when I'm having a really hard time, yeah, I've, I've, some friendships have cooled from that. Yeah. You know, have cooled and it's okay. It's okay. You know? So that brings me to the cup of tea thing that you were talking about that I want you to share here. This is essentially the, um, I had asked you what you wish everybody knew. And uh, you talked a little bit about the the being a cup of tea and for whom. So tell me about that. Like, what what is it that you wish for people to be able to understand as they're going through the process of dating and healing? So I believe this to be a universal truth. I really believe that, right? Except like, I don't know, some very, 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 very exceptional cases, right? Um, but you're not everybody's cup of tea, but you are somebody's cup of tea. And of those somebody's people that you're their cup of tea, some of them will be your cup of tea too. Mm-hmm. And this is true, you know? And I think people confuse dating with having to be super successful and attractive. And these are unrelated things let me tell you like literally unrelated I have some I have worked with some people that are incredibly successful and attractive and they don't you can be very successful and attractive and not find love yeah in fact there's a ton of people like that Mm -hmm. um because because one thing doesn't mean the other you know yeah and like I think people's job for dating is like to be themselves as much as possible um yeah 
and 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 to put themselves out there honestly i also think like i have a, i have a whole rant about like dating profiles it's like put some energy in your dating profile you know don't don't you know don't put a selfie in your car and a selfie in your messy room you know yeah like, yeah we don't need that like put like the same way like yeah so you are somebody's cup of tea and your job is to find them and your job yeah. is also to like be able to recognize that mm. be able to recognize mm -hmm. that you are some people's cup of tea because i think some of us like definitely me in the younger years like I like you had to beat me over the head for me to understand that you were attracted to me, you know, because <laughs> I was so in my story of like, I'm yeah. the ugly duckling that like, and like, I'm, I'm sure like I lost many connections and occasions to right. have fun um, or to be loved because I just yeah. couldn't see it. Right. So like your job is to like, take it in when it comes right and then decide if you're into it so kind of two jobs neither of which I think it's very important to better yourself yeah like neither of which is like to be more attractive or successful or do life better or whatever one is to express yourself more in the world, I guess, know yourself, express yourself more in the world so that other people who you're their cup of tea can actually find you. And the other is to do whatever work has to happen for you to recognize who's your cup of tea so that you can make good decisions when things show up. Yeah. And I will <laughs> add something to that. Um, if you are doing a ton of work to better yourself, right? what's more likely to happen is that you will also want, like, for example, when I was dieting and trying really hard to look good and, you know, and caught up on eating disorders, I only liked really attractive people because I think there's a little bit of like, Oh my God, if like, I think that's like a, I, I don't think it's like a conscious thing, but it's like, if I have to do this, yes. the other person better do it, right? Yep. Which none of these two things are related to having a good relationship. Mm. Somebody that is very attractive might not have any of the skills that are required mm -hmm. to cultivate a healthy long-term re relationship, right? So I would say, I would argue against that of like, if you want to be attracted to healthier, more self-loving people, you have to stop all this stuff, right? I mean, yeah. it's easy to say and like very hard to do, but yeah. So essentially you're saying that when you are on the hamster wheel of trying to get more attractive according to conventional ideals, you're a lot more likely to be drawn exclusively to people who are on that same hamster wheel. Yeah. And in part, it's a little bit of like, it's like the reason why some people don't want to forgive student loans. They're like, cause I had to pay mine. Yeah, yeah It's just exactly. like, yeah. it's like revenge in a little bit yeah. of a way. Revenge. And I think also like when you're doing so much work of self-monitoring, self right? Um, 
you see that's another thing that I see a lot like you see the you really think the world is I don't know how to say it like like you live in a world where like you are monitoring how attractive is everybody else right yeah yeah like you're like so-and-so is more attractive than me but so-and-so is less attractive yes. than me. And this person is oh yeah more attractive than me and oh my god if I got to be with that person like oh like the 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 thrill of going up in the scale which none of it yeah has to do with love or with no. relationships or with taking in with taking in love and with taking in connection and with like being seen and which is what actually all of us want right yeah. like we all want to be seen we all want to be love exactly for who we are we all want to feel connected and part of something that we respect right like yeah. these are basic needs and all of those things have nothing to do with that right like if yeah. you get that hot person so there's something in there about i mean there's objectification of course when you hold an objectifying view of yourself it's really likely you're going to hold it for everyone else there's also like the social status element of like yeah I've clawed my way up this little social hierarchy and my reward is a higher social status person. And so I'm not attracted to people who are lower social status because it's all about this little like climbing up to get more privilege, very, very limiting way of approaching partnership. Um, but yeah, I, I think that all that stuff, people don't realize how much the rules they're holding for themselves impact both what they hold for other people and who they're drawn to. And then also what they imagine other people are thinking about them. Exactly. I describe it as like, it's kind of like a self-inflicted paranoia when you go around thinking <laughs> kinds of thoughts. And then you're like, well, obviously everyone thinks this about me. Like everyone's looking at me and going like, how high status are they? You know? Um, yeah. It definitely does not bode well for, for genuinely supportive, healthy, secure relationships. It does not bode well for anything. It does, yeah. it's just like, and I say it from experience, like I was really caught in this stuff. And usually when we are caught up in that stuff, it's because we have a deep belief of unworthiness. Yeah. Otherwise, why would be doing this? Why it's so energetically expensive? Yeah. And I mean the word energy and like the physical thing, yeah. you know? It's the kind of energy that it takes to like, oh monitor yourself so much like in this like reality shows yeah right and it's like i i am fascinated right that, <laughs> like all these people are adults and they're still like so caught up and they have it's very unhappy yeah, yeah. so I think this is a, a question that has to come after what we just talked about, because I feel like anybody listening would say, well, that's all very well and good. And I'd like to find the kind of love you're describing, but that's just not who I'm attracted to. So how do you talk to clients around that particular aspect of like, I'm just attracted to men who are over six feet tall and, uh, you know, millionaires, like that's just who I'm attracted to. I think this is one of those beliefs that people cling to in order to kind of 
to stay on the hamster wheel. So what do you yeah, say to so those totally, clients? Totally. Um, well, I am going to whip out the work of another person that I really admire, Ken Page. And he has this book called Deeper Dating and this podcast that is free that is called Deeper Dating that is, he's like the very kind, compassionate dating dad yeah. <laughs> that we all deserve. I love him. <laughs> um, so he talks about attractions of deprivation and attractions of Ah, damn it. Well, two kinds of attractions, right? Deprivation is this kind of attraction you're talking. That is like, if you're only attracted to the six feet tall guy that is a millionaire and maybe you get him, right? Maybe, maybe you get to be with yeah. him and it feels great, but not quite right? It feels like there's this initial rush of like, I must be acceptable in this world because yeah. this guy likes me, yeah. which I spent so much time there. Yeah. Um, but then it's like the relationship like you, there's like, unless you're very lucky and, but if you're very lucky, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast because I also mm. believe like there's people that don't come into this world to work these things and they yeah. like, just find mm -hmm. the, their person like in high school or college and they stay all their life together and they, yeah. So what do you say to that? Because I feel like that's a question that I often get from clients, not even a question, uh, it's just a complaint. They're like, how come I have to work so hard at this and my stupid sister got married and like... I have a total rant about it. Okay. So I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I, I definitely have a good answer. Um... So you like an attraction of deprivation is like you are with this person, but there's always like sometimes they are great, but sometimes you feel kind of lonely in that relationship. Yeah. And sometimes they are great, but sometimes they say things that feel a little bit mean or a little bit yeah, disinterested. Yeah. Right. But like it keeps you like those kinds of attractions um, are way hotter and way um more addictive than mm. attraction of God. is it inspiration inspiration thank yeah, you yeah. thank you I thank you thank you <laughs> you're fast I'm yeah. impressed I couldn't even tell um so attractions of inspiration is somebody that you feel um really safe with like he mm. says he says does your soul feel safe with them that's what Kim Page is. Kim Page is like a delight. Yeah. Um, and usually with these attractions of deprivation, you don't feel very safe, but you would like, right. you always, you feel very turned on, right? Because yeah. there's, this, there's this level of like, of unsafety that can be really hot um, in sex. Um, and then he talks about like, when you find an attraction of inspiration, Sometimes you can have what he calls, I think, like the ick. What is it? Which is like, a lot of us have, I, like, 
fear of intimacy, right? And mm -hmm. then you find this person and you feel safe. They are into you. They don't make you feel anxious, right? Um, you feel secure that, that they like you. Um, but if you've had all these past relationships and you ah. associate um, love with this high anxiety thing. Yeah, yeah. Saik is like, suddenly it's like, oh my God, do they have to breathe so loudly? Oh, <laughs> the egg, yes, yes. Or like... Oh my God, can they be more boring? Right. I mean, yes. you found them interesting just a week yes. ago, but suddenly you're like, is this like what my life is now? Uh -huh. Like this, like devaluation, which is basically fear of intimacy um, coming to the rescue because you have fear of intimacy because intimacy has been very dangerous for you. Right. Yeah. So then you start to feel safe and this part that has your safety um once safety for you is like don't get close i'm gonna make yeah. their chewing very annoying or i'm gonna uh -huh. make their i don't know their i don't it's know a way whatever. of interrupting it basically yeah, yeah yeah which is also like relationship ocd right like when you are in a relationship that is actually really good for you and feels really good but you're always like is this my person? Yeah. Like, am I, am I, um, settling? Yeah. Like, I sometimes equate this to like, if you, if you have a history of like doing party drugs and then you yeah. just like settle into a nice, normal, mostly sober life, like exactly. you're, you're, you're pretty likely to question, is this all that there is for a while as you get yeah. used to the fact that, yeah, actually this is, this is lovely. And that was yeah. exaggerated and not necessarily like the thing that life is going to feel like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after you come from those high, uh, roller coaster, high validation, whatever it is, kind of high anxiety relationships that, yeah, that there is a, a lot of questioning. I see, uh, I see a lot of clients go through that. So, okay. And a per basically what you're saying then is a person can alter their attraction through the healing work around basically intimacy, like yeah. what they're willing to tolerate, what they're available for, what they believe about what is supposed to happen, um, which makes a ton of sense. And also I feel like that validation piece is huge. Like a lot of people think of a relationship as a place to be validated. And that is just not a very good basis for the kind of intimacy that I do think we all want. But certainly if you don't want that, it's a nice replacement, right? But I think it's the case for a lot of people of like, like I just want a person that is like this and like that. And it's like, yeah. Um, for me, like when you want a person like that is like this and like that and those things have nothing to do with the quality of relationship that you want, right? Like if you are like, yeah, I don't want to put examples, but yeah. we don't know them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the most interesting bit of this conversation is around if you're putting in the effort to look conventionally attractive and kind of claw your way up the social hierarchy, that that is undoubtedly going to impact who you're attracted to. And this goes both ways um, for like probably all genders. 
and all orientations. And in some ways, I think you could even like generously, you could call it, you could call it a value system. Like if you value being in the hardcore fitness and diet culture, you're, you're just going to want someone who aligns with your lifestyle, your values. So fine. Less generously, I would say it's some of what we were talking about before in terms of you're attracted to people who are using all of their time and energy to claw their way up the hierarchy as well. And that does change. I will say like coming out of the fitness industry for myself and going through the whole body neutrality journey myself, um, who I'm attracted to now is night and day from who I was attracted to before. And I never sat down with myself and said, I'm going to change who I'm attracted to. It just happened. And I would actually say that like conventionally attractive men at this point are the least attractive to me because I have formed such a strong association with them not being the kind of person who has developed the inner world that I connect with. Yeah. Not that they couldn't. It's just it seems so unlikely at this point that even if I were to see like a picture of a conventionally attractive guy, my brain would be like, yeah, unlikely. <laughs> no, or sometimes I look at pictures of like young male models and it's like yeah I don't I I can I I, I project that they are more worried about the face they're making than yeah I don't know it's like and it's like I'd rather You're like are you even embodied like yeah are you, you even here be present? yeah yeah seems unlikely okay I really want you to go on your rant now about this question of um how come they didn't have to work hard and I do at finding love so listen true absolutely true and this is true about all life like some of us come here with unearned wealth unearned mm. fa um, family wealth and some of us don't some of us come here with like um emotional intelligence and some of us have to work really hard some mm. of us come here with like um the kind of face and body that is very beautiful in this current time and some of mm -hmm. us don't some of us come uh don't even get me started with like color of skin or mm -hmm. cultural markers or um sexual preference right it's true it's true and but this is what you have been given hmm. is it fair not anymore that anything else is fair it's mm. not you know it really mm -hmm. is not like it really is not I have things that other people have to work really hard for, you know, and I have had to work really hard for things that other people have for granted. And this is true of a lot of us, right? Yeah. So I don't know I why don't, this but, has but, never but occurred to me before. Yeah. Of, here's the thing. You wanting is like, if like, you wanting this to be different for you is not gonna change right like this is what you bring this is what you have been given to work through right and for example let's say somebody wants a lot of money um you wanting to be you thinking that you should have been born with and earn wealth mm. is not gonna make it so if you really want a lot of money maybe they're i don't know capitalism right but like yeah some people, right? And this is the same. Like some people came here and like la 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 and found their partner and it's a great emotionally available partner and they have this beautiful thing from the start. And it's like, this is like being like, 
and they didn't have to work. And this is what they were given. Yeah. Probably there. Yeah. That is so true and so obvious. And also, I think so like radical at the same time, because we are obsessed with what's fair, but we very rarely think about like, because we're obsessed with what's unfair, we rarely think about like how the stuff that's working out for us is just equally unfair. I mean, ultimately, like it's all pretty random and we're all born with strengths and weaknesses and we don't go around suffering over like, why do I have this strength? But like, exactly. it is such a big pattern to do this. And I would say probably more in terms of finding relationships than other areas that, that there is a feeling of injustice that other people have to work at it or rather that other people don't have to work about it for the people who yeah. do. Yeah. That's super interesting. It, it isn't fair, but neither is anything else. And that kind of zoomed back perspective just taps you back into the idea that like, yeah, you're probably good at some shit naturally, some other shit that the person who's been married since they were like 17 and seems fine and happy, like it would, you know, die to have that skill. Like that's, that's the trade-off of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So true. All right. Anything else that you want to say that we haven't gotten to talk about today? I had plenty of other questions, but I think uh, we'll just wrap it up. So if there's anything else on your mind. I think what I want for everybody is like, get curious about it. Yeah. Right. Get really curious about, um, get really curious about how are you keeping yourself single? Right. Ooh. Um, get really curious about I think with with dating I think with everything right but with dating or we tend to uh, um, to the day of today I still do that even though I'm very training these other things but like what we all try to do is first like control and fix something external mm -hmm. right it's like it's like no like turn your gaze towards yourself get really curious about what's happening for you get and and they're like yeah you know if you cannot work with a coach or a therapist like Ken Page is a great resource um Catherine Woodward Thomas is a great resource um get really curious and see like what are what is your pattern and how are you it, yes it's unfair but how are you what's your part of the dance in this pattern yeah right like life brings you this right but then what do you do with that, right? And yeah. there's so much power in there. And you you can, people do change this all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's very so tangible. about your role in it and sort of zoom back or, or find a way to hold the luck component differently. Yeah. The idea that like there was an injustice in distribution yeah. is only going to get in your way and the it's truth is like this you. is what you've got and accepting reality and then making decisions based on that reality moving forward is always going to be a million times more effective and uh, yeah helpful in the long run versus just being mad about reality and but this is what you it. got i don't see it as like oh tough shit you don't get a partner in this lifetime you know no i right. see it more as like this is what you have to learn and work through. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think everybody that wants one partner or several partners, 
can have it. I really, yeah. really yeah. believe this in my bones, and I know Same. this to be true. Um, it just for some of us, it will take more self knowledge and introspection and work, you know. Yeah. Um, also. I always say this to my clients when they're really stuck on the belief of like, there's just nobody for me. Nobody's ever going to love me. It's like, there are 8 billion people on this planet. (laughs) The odds that none of them would love you are so low. (laughs) Like ultimately it comes down to how many partners do you want? One, a couple, like I'm like, ultimately the percentage you're looking for is so, so tiny in the pool that you don't have to appeal to everyone. Like you said, you don't have to be everyone's cup of tea. You barely have to be anyone's cup of tea to have a pretty damn full life. So yeah, that is a huge shift in perspective also is going from like, in order to find anyone, I have to appeal to everyone versus I'm literally just looking for like a couple people. Well, not even a couple, like even if you're not super attractive, I bet you money (laughs) (laughs) that there's people in two mile radius like Mm -hmm. whoever you are there's people in two mile radius of your home there's at least 10 people in two mile radius of your home that are close to your age that would find you attractive Yeah, yeah 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 and that they are like suitable yeah it just there's so many of us yeah like it's not even like one like because i think people also get trapped is like oh the one yeah. person what if like no it's like we have a lot of yeah i don't think also like there's only one some of you know some of us maybe have one soulmate and good luck to those right yeah. but like <laughs> i think most of us have like a lot you know yeah like a lot of i feel like my cat is one of my soulmates yeah don't get me started about my dog (laughs) she's totally one of my soulmates (laughs) all right Lai this was fabulous thank you so much for being here Um, tell everybody where they can find you if they were just like super interested in this conversation want to learn more about you online Um, I don't have anything online but they could find me through the relationship center Um, don't you have a website wasn't I just at your website yeah, the liapedreno.com. Yeah. Okay, liapedreno.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that's it. Um, I am so, so glad you got to come and join me for this conversation. I was really excited about this. And to everybody listening, thank you for being here. And uh, you know where to find me, jessineeland.com and at jessineeland in all the social media platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram etc and thank you and for I listening i recommend jesse really hard <laughs> i've recommended you so many times and you know how you recommend people to you recommend someone to people and only like two percent of those calls yeah right but like i really think you are it thank you yeah. laya laya is a very very supportive client <laughs> um, no, you're amazing yeah. thank you All right. Well, everyone, I will catch you next week. And thanks for listening.